What if I told you that there's a cure for chronic pain? Yes, for that pain you were told you would just have to manage. And what if I told you that that cure is already inside of you? Would you believe me? Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing podcast, where we talk about how to truly alleviate chronic suffering. I'm your host, Felicia Jaramus, and today you're listening to episode number 19. And in this episode, I speak with Chelsea Davis. So Chelsea bravely shares her recovery story, primarily from back pain, but also including things like migraine, wrist pain, rashes, and tinnitus. And Chelsea really covers the whole gamut. So sort of right from first reading John Sano and her reaction of disbelief that her pain could be emotional in origin, right through to discovering the power of journal speak, learning to feel the relationship between pain and emotions in her body in real time, the symptom imperative, recovery and life on the other side, including survivor's guilt. So it's a jam-packed episode and honestly, I felt so inspired after talking to Chelsea But really, um, I guess I always feel so inspired after talking to all of my guests. Um, But that's just because each and every single one of you doing this work are just so amazing. So I'm going to say that again. You're all amazing for being here, doing this work, giving it a go, showing up for yourself. And I really mean that because this work is hard. So I guess I just hope that Chelsea's story gives you bit of a boost and just that bit more evidence that healing is possible um one of the things I guess that has really got me thinking after talking to Chelsea is her hypothesis that you'll hear towards the end of the episode that TMSs perhaps experience emotions more intensely than non-TMSs hence our propensity to repress them and this got me thinking because Secretly, I guess I've been harboring this hope for myself and my own healing that as I was feeling my emotions more and more and sort of as time went on and my brain started, well, I guess stopped recognising them as less quote-unquote dangerous, that they might not feel so intense for me. So as I started to feel safer with them and safer feeling with them through the repetition of uh, feeling them, And, um, you know, because I still, even though I'm several years down this path, I currently do still find them quite difficult, really quite all-encompassing. Often I can sort of feel them coming up and I have to lean into them to get them to come all the way out. Otherwise, I know I'm going to have to do some work later. So it's still not, it's not an easy process for me in any sense of the word. Um, Anyway... I did a little digging and it turns out that there actually are differences in arousal systems in the brain that can cause certain people to feel emotions more intensely, right? So TMSs maybe probably do feel emotions more intensely. And um, the nature-nurture question is always still out on this one. So whether it's kind of innate to us or perhaps maybe as a result of trauma, which I think could particularly be the case given the higher ACEs score among TMSs on average. But um, usually the answer to all of these questions is that it's a complex mix of nature and nurture, so it's probably that one. Um, And I guess whether you can sort of turn the volume down over time is still unclear. So if anyone has had that experience, send me a message, let me know. Um, But I guess even if um, you can't, it's sort of okay because your capacity to handle big feelings and to handle what's happening in your body really, 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 truly does improve over time. Um, yeah. So anyway, I do like to keep the intro relatively short. So we will get on to the episode. I will play my usual disclaimer first. Um, oh, and also just a reminder. Uh, follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. That's a great place to get in contact with me if you have any questions or comments. And don't forget to rate and review if you're liking the show. I'm 
I am a provisional psychologist with my PhD or my doctorate in education, but I'm not a medical doctor. So all of the content that I provide about mind-body healing in any medium, including but not limited to this podcast and my social media channels, is for informational purposes only. No content provided by me is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The purpose is to promote broad understanding and knowledge of various health topics. If you choose to use any information provided by me, you do so solely at your own risk. Always seek the guidance of your doctor or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health or medical condition. Do not embark on a mind-body healing journey until you have the clearance from your healthcare practitioner to do so, until you have discussed how to apply mind-body healing to your own individual case. The methods discussed by guests on the show are not necessarily endorsed by me. Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Jaramus, and today I'm here with the lovely Chelsea Davis. So Chelsea is a writer and a radio producer all the way from the US, and she's also um, a TMS survivor or warrior or whatever you might want to call it. And I found Chelsea through a magazine article on Miss Magazine, which I'm going to link in the show notes. And I thought it was a pretty powerful feminist piece about her TMS experience and about the ways that society pressures women in particular into repressing their rage and the consequences this has for chronic pain. And that makes me really, really excited um, to have you here, Chelsea, to talk about your recovery story and your experiences. Yeah, thanks for having me, Felicia. Yeah, thank you. So I thought maybe to get us started, Chelsea, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, anything I've missed there, and then we'll get started talking about your experience with TMS and how it all began. Sure, yeah. Um, Yeah, I uh, am a writer and an editor based in San Francisco from California originally too. Um, And I usually actually don't write personal essays, which is why the Ms. Magazine article was such an interesting challenge. Um, I'm usually a film and literary critic. Um, so I'm very used to writing about other people's emotions and arts and experiences, not so much about my own. So that was kind of a, an exciting challenge. But mm. Well, it's a yeah. great case. It's very powerful. Thank you. Um, I Yeah, I was excited to see that a lot of people with chronic pain either in their past or in their present seemed to connect with it that was really meaningful to me Mm. yeah certainly um it definitely connected with me yeah um I think that a lot of people haven't necessarily drawn the link between like their emotions and their pain yet um people (laughs) who read it it was like their first exposure to any kind of tms uh sort of framework for thinking about pain Um, and, you know, so even if it was just like the first seed planted in some people's minds that, Hey, maybe my, maybe my chronic symptoms or my chronic pain might not be sort of physical, um, or musculoskeletal in origin. Like, even if that was just the seed, um, I would be really excited to know that it helped some people along this journey because, um, yeah, it can be such a lonely and isolating one. Uh, and so scary if you've been told by doctor after doctor that, I'm sorry, we just can't find anything wrong or or we can find any, something wrong, but it's something you're just going to have to live with. Um, and the real revelation and miracle of TMS is for a lot of people that might not be the case. Mm, yeah, and you're right. It is all about planting seeds. It's, um, yeah, amazing that you wrote that article and amazing that it's out there. And I just think the more you, we can get this message out to people, you know, the more people who can hopefully, you know, heal themselves. Right. Right. And you kind of don't want to be too, um, I don't know, soapboxy about it, I suppose. I, I don't know what your experience has been with um, 
like recommending this work for instance <laughs> to other friends of yours or acquaintances who have pain but you almost feel like you don't want to shove it down their throats because it sounds so crazy at first right it sounds uh, unbelievably crazy that is why I started the podcast because I was like people who need this work will find me because like I find that you can't really approach people there it's because it does sound crazy yep you have to find your own way to it yeah. I was so skeptical um yeah, not not to get ahead of our conversation about my my pain timeline, but I was so skeptical when I first came across Sarno's book that I like think I threw it across the room when it when I first read it. It's like <laughs> absolutely not. My pain is too real to be caused by my feelings. Um, yeah, yeah. It took me like like I dabbled, and then I know this can't be true, and then I like dabbled a bit more, and I was like, no, nah, can't be true. And then it was like, I think you have to exhaust all of the kind of medical possibilities. I did anyway, and then I was like, okay, this is my last option. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Right. Desperation, if nothing else, it's like, well, I might as well try this. I mean, it costs almost zero dollars, especially compared to a lot of other chronic pain treatments out there. So, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why I think it's just planting seeds so that eventually, you know, when people are ready, they will. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that some of the seeds, you know, that people like you plant with your podcast are among physicians, you know, I, I mean, that would really be my hope as well, that not just patients find this work and people suffering from chronic pain themselves find this work, but that we can, you know, warm our way a little bit more into the mainstream medical establishment and say like, hey, my, my true wish would be that someday people don't have to like be their own advocates and be their own, uh, I don't know, magicians and researchers in this regard. And that, you know, it would be part of the common slate of things that of, of treatments that are offered to you when you go to the doctor complaining of back pain or migraine or fibro you know mm, yeah I would okay. hope so too I think it's certainly um there are like more and more kind of medical doctors looking this way but I think it's still few and far between unfortunately but you know every I don't know every medical doctor makes a difference I guess yeah Yep, everyone, everyone counts. And I know there have been a couple of studies released recently. Like, did you hear about the two back pain studies last yeah. year? Yeah, the Alan, no. Alan Gordon's studies. Yeah. Yeah. So that stuff gives me hope. Um, yeah, slowly. I, recently, I recently did um, Dr. Shubana's, um course for like, because he's trying to train as many people in this methodology. And he had a lot of research. There's so much research now coming out, which shows that this this works and it works better than any conventional medical treatment that we have. So it's getting mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Anyway, so we might um, we might dig in. So um, Chelsea, how did your experience with chronic pain begin? Yeah, when I was in um, graduate school in around 2014. I was about 26 years old. Um, I began experiencing lower back pain and it seemed to come kind of out of nowhere um, as it does for a lot of people, I think. Um, you know, I, I thought at the time that it might have been be caused by my sitting too much. I was I was studying for my second set of PhD exams at the time. So I was sitting, you know, an insane amount every day. Um, and uh, I was, you know, I had sort of a, an old hamstring injury that I thought maybe was connected to it, mm. sort of the whole genetic chain, all the things you kind of tell yourself in like your desperate search for answers. But um, and that that pain was tolerable at first for the first couple months. Uh, I could kind of sit through it or get up and walk around every so often. And then it it got worse um, and it got to the point where I couldn't sit anymore. Um, and then eventually to the point where every every position caused pain, you know, it, it was pretty constant, whether I was standing, uh, walking, lying down. Um, so I, I entered into the, the medical system and mm -hmm. um, began the kind of slew of throwing spaghetti at the wall that everyone with chronic pain does. Um, I tried uh, spinal injections. Um, I tried physical therapy, acupuncture. A whole barrage of pain medications um 
and nothing seemed to work for more than or or it would work at first you know for a couple of weeks um which who knows in retrospect might well have been psychosomatic um that there's sort of it, like it often is if you do something and it works a little bit it's often like your brain right because you're optimistic right you you see that practitioner yes. who really thinks they've got you figured out and you're like oh hope like that's that I, I I'm this is going to end you know yeah, um, the kind of fear is gone for that little bit of time right right which now makes looking back makes so much more sense now that I have the kind of fear framework around yeah. why it's perpetuated but but at the time it just felt like well okay maybe we attacked a little bit of the physical problem and didn't get the whole thing and it does. that's exactly what it feels like <laughs> yeah um and so and you know I I had gotten an MRI as one does. And um, I was uh, the one of my doctors said, look, oh, look, you have a bulging disc at L4, L5 in your lumbar spine. And um, we were all kind of sure this was the answer. And so that um, that imaging kind of continued to keep the like musculoskeletal explanation alive in my head, um, mm-hmm. in my body. Um, and Meanwhile, the pain was just getting worse and worse, and uh, I, I essentially had to all but stop my graduate work. Um, Can I just, you know what I think is a really sad thing? Mm-hmm. When you get that imaging and you get a, like a, it feels like a concrete reason, it feels really exciting, like, oh my gosh, I have a reason for the pain. But it's, as you said, it's that kind of imaging that keeps you kind of stuck in the model too, you know? That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because for for so many other types of illness um, or, or injury that you experience through your non-chronic pain life, just like the sort of standard, you know, uh, bumps, bumps and scrapes that you get as a human being, like when, when you have a smoking gun, it does mean that the end is in sight, right? Like, yeah. oh, the doctor found out that I have chicken pox and that's why I have a horrible fever or um yeah that's right my my arm is broken and so we're going to slap a cast on it and it's going to heal and you know in about eight weeks this is i'm going to be back to new and so we're we're accustomed to that kind of like a trust in medical authorities that Mm -hmm. they know how to both find what's wrong with us and heal us and then also to that sort of visual physical sense of where pain is coming from to begin with and and it's usually right i mean it's true for a lot of things ex- except chronic pain right and yeah. other chronic symptoms so yeah i think that's a really really good point mm-hmm. um um so yeah uh, the pain was getting worse i i had to um all but stop my graduate study i was technically still enrolled but i was was getting close to having to drop out because i just wasn't able to sit or let alone concentrate long enough to write my dissertation anymore or to do do keep up with my teaching load um and that in itself would have been so stressful for you i'm sure yeah it was you know it was i was it felt like my lifelong dream was dying um and and i was so young and um and until that point extremely healthy relatively athletic um and I didn't, I, I had such a strong social network and family network of support, but who was wonderful and understanding. But at the same time, when you're that young, nobody really gets it. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, it, I think I think as people get older, uh, un- unfortunately, we get used to our bodies changing and, you know, getting injured more frequently and stuff like that. But as a 26-year-old, it was kind of like, who am I supposed to hang out with when like all I all I want to do yeah. is is lie down and smoke weed because it's the only thing that helps and watch TV all day like all my friends want to go out or you know they sort of they want to be really interactive with with me anyway um it was just kind of it, it added to the the sort of emotional burden was this feeling like I am it's so wrong that this is happening to me at this age and that um you know, no one else really gets what I'm going through. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the emotional side of the pain um, was taking its toll. And I was also beginning to have wrist pain, uh, the kind of the, the TMS, like, I don't know, uh, 
gopher was making its way through my body and uh, beginning to spread to other areas too. So I was starting to get migraines, wrist pain, such that I could no longer type, I could no longer write anything. Um, and at that point, I was I was very, very low emotionally, like all this very, very um, close to suicidal. And uh, the last thing I was going to, you know, try my sort of last source of hope was this um, surgical intervention in my back, a microdiscectomy that uh, my surgeon was like, I don't know if this will really help, but we might as well try, uh, which was kind of like not a great uh, no. <laughs> going to a major <laughs> surgery with. But um, and that thankfully, though, that was about the time that I found uh, Dr. Sarno's work. And mm -hmm. I don't exactly like many of us, I don't think I remember exactly why it was definitely like a late night session of symptom Googling. Um, and I read his book. Like I said to you earlier in this conversation, I got really angry at first. I was like, how dare someone sort of insinuate that everything I've been going through is quote unquote all in my head. Um, yeah. Even though, of course, that's a phrase that you come to meet, you come to understand like how powerful your brain is and controlling your body's sensation. And then it doesn't actually seem diminishing that it's all in your head because yeah. pain, you know, all of our sensations of the world are in our head, in fact. Um, and it's, it's like the phrase, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> that becomes very powerful too. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's right. As any, anyone going through the medical system, uh, for, you know, a space of five or so years, um, we'll understand how, like, you're just on sort of trigger alert for all these things that yeah. you have this, all this built up anger and frustration around people not taking you seriously. Um, which, uh, yeah, also to, to your point earlier in your, in your lead in to this episode is, is also something that women face more commonly Most in the medical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say I didn't, I think I am lucky in that I I wouldn't say I experienced medical sexism in a super explicit way. I, I did feel like I had, for the most part, genuinely pretty um, understanding doctors. I don't I don't. There's no one I can point to as a villain and say like, you know, he said, "Oh, you're a woman, so I don't take you seriously" or whatever. But um, I mm -hmm. I know that many many other women with chronic pain do unfortunately experience that and and that it's it's um even more exacerbated if they're women of color if they're non-binary people trans people um so all these demographic factors are kind of in play when you're already in a weakened system weakened state because you're in chronic pain trying to navigate this big labyrinthine medical system um so anyway found sarno's work threw it across the room but then eventually, like you were saying, out of desperation, I just kind of had to come back to it because I didn't know what else to do. Um, and I found that mostly actually journaling, I would say, was the most helpful part of it to me. Um, but, the, you know, the education bit is important too, like understanding more and more about the, the neuroscience of how the brain processes pain and how related that is to fear of the pain. Um, and journaling, like I said, um, I downloaded the Curable app, which have you heard of the Curable app? Yeah, I went through the Curable app myself. So. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I found that particularly helpful just because it it made me feel like um there was always something i could do if if i got into pain you know like there's a little lightning button you can push if you're having a flare-up that really makes you feel sort of like okay it's normal to have pain i don't have to be afraid of this sensation which which helps calm your whole amygdala down and you know tampen sort of the emotional response you might be having when you have a, a flare-up um and so you know, within a space of a couple of months, I would say, um, my back pain had greatly, greatly diminished. Um, I wouldn't say I was really out of the woods with it until mm, maybe six or seven months after I first found Sarno's work. But mm -hmm. of course, you know, when it starts to get even a little bit better, that's such an, that's actually like maybe the most important turning point, I would say, rather than the sort of fully better milestone because knowing that it could be helping at all is just sort of such a, an incredible revelation and it and it renews your interest in 
and continuing to do the work and sticking with whatever exercises you're up to. Yeah, it's when you get that bit of evidence that like, oh, this actually is going to work for me. Right. So powerful. That's why I always say to people, write it down when it happens to you because if further down the line you start to doubt again, go back and like read what you've been through and those bits where it really like made sense to you. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because doubt doubt does come back, right? I mean, it's so easy to... In a, in a low moment, you know, pain, pain weakens you. And I think it makes your mind a little blunted, at least for me. And so it's, it's really easy to think, oh, those, those couple good days were just the exception. Right. Um, and yeah. And then you go back to, oh, maybe I like stretched better that day before, or maybe, you know, then the, you go back to thinking yeah. about the physical reasons that it could be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly you know, this pain has come in, swept through your life, completely basically shut down your life, where you up to what you were doing, you know, how strong you have been and to have found Sano's work and to like, you know, started the journaling. It's pretty amazing, really. Thank you. Yeah. I I do look back on it actually as something I'm very proud of, I guess, um, you know, having, having found this work on my own when I was so incredibly low and just sort of continued to wake up every day and do it. Um, even when it felt crazy and even when I like, you know, at first it took me a while to tell anyone that I was having this degree of success, um, because I didn't know how I would explain to them this magic that was happening in my body where I was, turning emotional change into physical yeah it, um, it, do, it did took me a while too actually it was kind of this like even for my like partner who was with me through like my whole medical journey it took me a while to be like hey I'm trying this you know emotional thing <laughs> yeah it does take a while yeah you're almost sheepish at first but yeah but then the turning point comes and then you want to tell everyone and their mother and um <laughs> exactly you want to like scream it from the rooftops and then it's like really disappointing when a lot of people are like you're crazy like yeah <laughs> <laughs> right right mm-hmm. but, um so yeah that catches us up to about when yeah so i i think you know those three symptoms the um leg pain back pain headache were all kind of my early symptoms, but I will say I I had a lot of symptom whack-a-mole after that. Um, And to some extent, I would say, you know, this is nine years later now since my first, my first episode of back pain. And I I would say I still get the occasional mind-body symptom. Um, You know, I, headaches were kind of my biggest bugaboo for a while. I, I think I had them for probably six years i would say like really bad migraines Mm. that was my longest symptom even though i knew i was like very convinced on some level that they were mind body uh in origin um it's still i'm not exactly sure why but they were very hard for me to kick and i will still occasionally get a headache um but i don't consider myself to be in chronic pain anymore you know i i consider the flare-ups that I get now, whether it's about of tinnitus, which happens sometimes, or a rash, um, or really bad IBS, uh, they're just kind of like nice little, actually, actually very sort of sweet in a way, reminders from my stupid reptile brain that um, I need to pay attention to something that's going on emotionally. Um, and reframing reframing the pain and even its occasional interruptions now as this kind of um, this little way that my brain is actually trying to take care of me rather than trying to harm me, I think has also done leagues for making the pain less frightening and therefore less likely to um, to stick around. Yeah, I've actually found humor to be really a really helpful tool for kind of defanging the symptoms in different ways. Like um, uh, tinnitus, maybe two two or so years ago, I would say tinnitus was my most distressing symptom that was still left um, because it would interrupt my sleep. And then, (laughs) you know, that's for a lot of us TMS types, we already have insomnia. And then like for something to make you sleep worse, (laughs) it's like, no, please. Um, So, 
uh, I, I developed kind of like a visualization where I late at night when I would be trying to fall asleep or have been woken up and I, I would hear for me, it was like a very high pitched ringing in my ears. Um, uh, I would kind of visualize a like a really silly little cricket who was kind of trying to learn how to play the instrument of his body, but wasn't doing a very good job with it. And so was kind of messing up. Um, and I would imagine him with like a little hat and sort of a Jiminy critic, uh, Jiminy cricket type and just like talk to him in this kind of bemused, um, but gentle way of like, Hey, I hear you tuning your instrument and you're really not doing a very good job. If you wanted to turn it down, you could, but it's also okay if you don't want to, but I'm just saying like, there are also other ways to play your instrument, you know? And so just trying to kind of see the ridiculousness or the humor or like laughing at my symptoms as much as anything when they come up. Um, I don't know, something about that has also really calmed my, my fear response, I think. Yeah, you're not the first person who I've heard, you know, kind of give their symptoms a name or like a character to mm -hmm. like to speak to them. And I think that's a really good strategy. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it feel less amorphous, you know, pain is so it's so abstract when it's happening to you um, and allowing you to see it as sort of part of yourself rather than something that's attacking you has been really useful for me at least. Yeah. I like that, that um, phrase there, seeing it as something that's part of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit more about, you said you started playing whack-a-mole with your symptoms and I know that's something that's really kind of common for people as they start to get better, I guess. And that's a weird way to phrase it as you're getting more and more symptoms. But could you talk a little bit more about that and what that experience was like for you, just for people who might be in the middle of this right now? Yeah, so um, in retrospect, uh, when I kind of began to see my back pain wane, but my wrist pain got a lot worse, that was kind of the first instance of it um mm. at the time i didn't know that but essentially i guess you know i'm not i'm not a doctor myself but the way i've heard it explained is that um essentially like your nervous system figures out on some primal level that you're not as afraid of symptom a anymore and so it says okay but i still really don't want you to pay attention to the whatever emotion it is that you're seeing as this major threat so i'm going to turn into symptom b instead and that'll probably give you a good scare yeah and the truth is it does because i mean even knowing what i know now like even even knowing a little bit more about the neuroscience of pain and the fact that i have tms it's still kind of freaky if i get a whole new symptom that i didn't realize was even possible yet you know um so the first time i had like digestive issues i was like oh my god i have an ulcer or you know something has physically changed even though i was like three years into this work you know <laughs> yes <laughs> and it's kind of hard sometimes they stick around some symptoms stick around longer than others like i said my migraines were real uh <laughs> they really had lasting power for whatever reason whereas i had rashes for me like really bad rashes for maybe mm, a month total and then i was kind of done with them my body was like oh that's not scary to you i guess i'm going to stop doing that mm. um, and I'm, I'm really i think i would have been really freaked out by all of this and uh, you know but i Thankfully, I, I was pretty active in um, a couple Facebook groups that are built around the TMS community. Um, yeah. I was in the group and Nicole Sachs's Journal Speak Facebook group. And and so I was able to see like that exact the exact phrase people used a lot was you've got the pain on the run. Um, and and it's a good thing. Right. So actually, you don't have to be stressed out or think that you're doing this work wrong if you suddenly develop pelvic pain whereas you used to have neck pain right actually it's a good sign because it means you're sort of working through this set of hopefully limited physical symptoms on your way to confronting the core stuff that's actually like causing all of these symptoms um so that was super comforting to me when i finally when i came across that framework um and i don't know if the whack-a-mole will ever like truly 
stop for me in the sense that I think I, I expect to have kind of physical react, like very strong physical reactions to my emotions my whole life. I, I sort of think that's just how I'm built at this point. But it just that doesn't feel like the death sentence that it just was. In fact, it it feels sort of like I get to keep this clear eye on how I'm doing emotionally, you know, other people might not know exactly how they're feeling. But for me, when I get a headache, I know, oh, okay, it's because I'm stressed about something. <laughs> yeah, so it really sounds like you've turned it into your strength. Yeah, at least that's what I'm trying to tell myself. Um, I mean, talk to me when I'm in the middle of a migraine. But yeah, no, for, for the most part, um, for the most part, I really do see this as sort of like a cool, almost superpower, I would say at this point. Um, and it has this mystical feeling too, even though I know that the science behind it is really good and and have a pretty good understanding now of how like the amygdala works and stuff. Um, but because of the way that I was raised in the same, you know, um, musculoskeletal, like physical, physical, physical framing yeah. of pain in the body, when you start to see that there actually is this real connection between emotion, between mind and body, that those things are not like the Cartesian split we usually think they are. It does have this feeling of magic when you first kind of cross that boundary between them. Um, and now I've just come to see it as a good miracle instead of a bad one, you know? Yeah. And I think I feel pretty similarly about it. And I think like it's really hard to hear it when you're in it, when you have so much pain and you're trying to like work through it. It's hard to hear that it's like a gift, you know? But I think everyone who I have on the show um, says that, that in the end it becomes like a friend, like a really good thing and people become glad that they went through it. Yeah, I am. I am glad I went through it. It also just, I mean, it, it taught me about so much that I was repressing and so many parts of my personality that I had seen as kind of high functioning or or even virtues before that maybe weren't serving me that well, you know, um, such as people pleasing, like high, high, high conscientiousness, sort yeah. of a obsession with what other people think of me, type A perfectionism, being hard on myself. Um, like sometimes I think it's really, it is no accident that these things came out when I was doing a PhD program because that I am of great like striving and pushing yourself and um, not enough sleep and you know, you have to be the best. And um, it turns out that <laughs> maybe that's that wasn't a great framework for me to be in all the time um and so i'm really glad for the way that this this work has also awoken me to like personality traits i want to work on slowly and i would i would say that work i'm still very much in progress you know dealing with my dealing with my people pleasing um dealing with the physical and kind of mental anxiety too that a lot of this uh tms work has actually unlocked yeah, I think it um, for a lot of people, it kind of unlocks this sort of lifelong, you know, you start to, it's the right word, you know, you were talking about working on those personality traits that aren't serving you. And it's like, it makes you kind of more aware, it's just that self-awareness that you, you clearly like a, you develop through this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And without this work, I don't know if I ever would have. The analogy I've heard is, um, I don't know if it's Nicole Sachs or someone else who says this, but anyway, I, I can't take credit for it. But basically, if, you're, if your emotions and, and your sadness or your anger or your anxiety are knocking at the door trying to get your attention and you don't pay attention to them, they're going to throw a brick through the window. And your body erupting in any variety of pain symptoms, autoimmune disorders, you know, all the things that are under the TMS umbrella, like that is the brick being thrown through the window saying we can't, I, I will not be hidden anymore. These feelings will not be silent. Um, so I am grateful for them in a, in a perverse way. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I was wondering 
Um, can we talk a little bit more about journaling for you and how how you found journaling and particularly as being a writer, that's um, pretty interesting, I guess. Yeah, being a writer made it, I would say, harder to get into the rage journaling at first. Um, I, I think that Sarno is the one who advocated that I think it was through reading Sarno that I first came across the idea that you can journal to release feelings. Yeah. Um, and so I started doing that almost every day in a kind of haphazard way and, and also in a sort of like pulling my punches way, you know, um, in this very intellectualized way, I guess. And that mm-hmm. also probably was not helped by being a writer because I was so used to like trying to write the most beautiful sentence possible or sort of the most delicately crafted way of articulating that emotion that I was feeling or my relationship with X person. And that isn't really, at least for me, that that was not really enough to give vent to the feelings that were so severe that they were causing me debilitating back pain, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was through engaging more with Nicole Sachs's work and hearing her talk about how giving yourself permission to be really, really ugly on those pages and to to swear, to maybe have a revenge fantasy or two, um, you know, to name names, to mm-hmm. talk about people that you love as though you hate them and will never forgive them, even though that's not actually true in your rational life. Yeah. Um, and that was when I started seeing the real breakthroughs was when I gave myself permission to put down my like nice, good girl, way of rationalizing the way that other people had mistreated me. Um, and that was really, really powerful stuff. And I, I started writing sentences that I didn't even recognize, you know, about wanting to like never see someone again uh, or scream in someone's face, um, even though I would like totally get brunch with them the next day and everything would be fine. Um, so yeah, it yeah. was a pretty exceptional experience. <laughs> That's pretty amazing though, like, you know, you would go and just like raid vent in your journal and then you could go and have lunch with that person the next day. Like <laughs> just so yeah, you, know, because... you know, you can write whatever you want and it's not going to affect that person, you know. Right. It doesn't mean you don't love that person dearly. In fact, I think like for me often often what I needed to journal about was the people the people who I love but, you know? And, and that's everyone you love. Like if you love someone deeply, if you spend a lot of time with someone, then eventually they're going to do something that ticks you off. And then maybe if you're a people pleaser, you learn to swallow that feeling because, well, you love them so much. And so it, it can't really be that bad what they did to you. And And anyway, you're not someone who gets mad at someone, right? And so I think often it's those really core relationships with family, with partners, with like best friends. Um, that that can sort of they get healthier if we give occasional vent to them you know it's like it's like letting steam off through a steam vent it actually makes makes everything a little bit cooler inside and makes you better able to engage with them you're not passive aggressive you're not resentful um you're not holding in this toxic grudge about that thing they did five years ago because there's probably no way you can safely bring that up with them in person now without being a jerk, but you sure can journal about it. And the journal is not going to talk back to you. And it makes so much sense that it's the people that you love, but because it's the people that you love that you really don't want to have those feelings about, you know, stuff mm-hmm. those ones down. Yeah, we don't, we don't like cognitive dissonance, you know, <laughs> we don't like to think that the people that, are really good to us in some ways can also hurt us in others and like again it this this means i'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these people i've ever journaled about it's just that being human means making mistakes and i've hurt a lot of people they hurt other people hurt me too um it's it's when you pretend you're not hurt that you get into trouble i think yeah most definitely um i'm always really i don't know i'm always really because the journaling never worked for me. I defined mm-hmm. other strategies. So I'm always really interested. And I think hearing you talk, it's like maybe I just didn't quite give myself enough 
enough permission, you know, to be, I don't know, brutal enough. Maybe that's what it was. Mm. I was still, I just could not get out of my head, you know. Mm. Definitely took me a couple weeks and hearing concrete examples from other people about what they'd written about, like the really nasty stuff that unlocked it for me. But I, I will also say, though, I do think different parts of this work are going to just work better for every person, you know? Yeah, um, I think so, too. So it may be journaling was never going to be in the stars for you. Mm. Um, but I will say something cool that happened with journaling was that I, I journaling was where I really learned, like, where different emotions sat in my body oh. because... I would feel them in extremity for, I think the first time in my life, you know, at least the first time I can remember, I would feel like, oh, anger comes and it sits in my wrists and my hands and, and guilt sits in my stomach and like frustration or feeling trapped by someone or feeling suffocated in a relationship sits in my head. And I would just feel this stuff kind of swelling up in, in, my journaling sessions and then sometimes sometimes it would actually what was really cool is sometimes it would actually become a chronic pain symptom like I, I could just directly in real time see the the sort of physical emotion whether cortisol or whatever it is that actually causes emotion mm -hmm. I don't know but like I could feel my my head that felt frustrated and cloudy and like annoyed someone with I don't know uh coming to stay with me that I didn't want to see or something like that and I could, and then it would become a headache, you know? And so that was another real smoking gun for me of like, oh, right. Like pain is actually just anxiety. These emotions really are causing these feelings because I could see the handoff happen in real time when I was journaling. And it's the most amazing experience when you start to build that into receptive awareness, as you said, applying that in your real life. When you start to be like, oh, my wrist is aching. That means I'm feeling this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think something I heard you say on, on another episode was like um, the distinction between thinking emotions and feeling them is one that we could all stand to pay attention to. And I really thought, I really think that for a lot of my life I had learned or taught myself or whatever, I'd learned how to think, think my emotions, you know, mm. I would think, oh, I, I ought to feel angry right now about what she did to me, but uh, I'm not going to really allow myself to feel that. Um, or maybe I just mistook the thought I'm angry for the feeling itself. But boy, emotions are big. I mean, <laughs> you really feel them when you feel them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that is so, so common in our society. We all think our emotions, we don't actually allow ourselves to feel them. No. Yeah. I could go on about why that's the case. I mean, it comes from childhood and anyway but that's that's how it is and yeah it's the mm. it, they're big you know when you're feeling them <laughs> they're so big yeah. yeah although if i could design like a psych study with unlimited money i would be really interested to know whether the way that people who experience mind-body symptoms whether whether our experience of emotions is sort of physically the same as what other like once once we've unlocked them in our body like is that what other people are feeling all the time people without mind body symptoms and we've just kind of erected in our heads this like we've thrown up this obstacle of of like the physical symptoms because yeah i don't know i would, I would just be curious to know just a just a side note <laughs> yeah i think that's a really interesting thing to think about because i was reflecting on because recently i went and did a, like a breath work like emotional release thing and I was amazed at like how much easier it was for my emotions to come up then because it felt like my conscious mind just like shut off because I often mm -hmm. feel like there's this battle between like my conscious mind and my body and it feels like the emotions are worse because my mind is trying to stuff them down, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I wonder if like people, if they don't have that like battle, if they, yeah, anyway, just a, yeah. a really interesting thing to think about whether non-TMS people whether how different it feels for them right right it's like is TMS just kind of the um is a difference of degree or kind you know yeah. are, are we 
the most extreme example of what is in fact a spectrum and it turns out like everybody in the world has some degree of mind body symptoms or is it really like you know these two two boxes and you fall into one or the other i mean i'm i'm way inclined to think the former because i think even someone who's never had like uh, chronic pain symptoms um as as part of a mind body etiology like i think even that person could relate to getting sick to their stomach before a big speech yeah. right getting yeah, a headache when yeah. come to town <laughs> yeah that's right i sit on that end that everyone gets something that it's part of being human yeah mm. we just get the we get the however lucky or unlucky designation of being kind of the ex extreme version of it yeah <laughs> yes <clears throat> I think uh, I would call it, I don't know, lucky now, I think, but unlucky at some point. Okay. Yeah. What about if we talk about your life now after chronic pain? We've kind of touched on this and how it's, you know, helped you be more in touch with your emotions and things like that. Um, but is there anything else that it's brought up for you? Yeah. I mean, I remember having thoughts when I was in the grips of back pain that if I ever got through it, if I ever got to the other side of it, I would never live a day that I was not grateful to not be in pain. And I I would say that still remains the case for me, you know, even though even though I haven't had really like severe, unrelenting symptoms for a good couple of years now, um, I do feel a little bit like blessed or miraculous mm -hmm. as I walk around the world. You mm -hmm. know, it it is such a dark place to be and to, to be, to have chronic pain uh, mm -hmm. in a really bad way. And it, it, it feels like life is a miracle now that I'm on the other side. Um, but I do kind of, uh, I struggle with a bit of survival survivor's guilt, I guess I would say um, just hearing the occasional acquaintance or friend who has chronic pain um, it brings up, yeah, it brings up feelings of empathy, pity, terror for that person, knowing that, for instance, like, knowing that it's kind of, a person with chronic pain is kind of like an iceberg in the sense that like what everyone else sees is this tiny slice of how hard their life is. And there's so much more beneath the water, but I know what's beneath the water. I know how much they're suffering. Yeah. And then, and then the next step is like, okay, well, what, it's not, useful for me to just have pity and fear and empathy for that person but how how do I interact with them in a way that's helpful to them but as you and I were saying earlier in this conversation not forcing <laughs> TMS work on them and also not sort of patronizing them or or assuming that I know what's best for them right um, mm -hmm. and so I think a lot of us who have worked through our TMS and gotten to a, a point where we live relatively pain-free have this sort of like sense of boy what do I do with this you know what do I do with this knowledge and it's it's really great that podcasts like yours exist because I think getting the word out in a general way is is so so helpful um but it does for me since I don't have a podcast on the subject it does like just kind of it constantly brings up that question of how um how to interact with respect uh with with someone who has chronic pain while also leaving the door open for them to discover this work if um if they're ready for it um yeah yeah and i certainly resonate with that struggle and i think probably everyone on the other side does because you i know my everyday life you hear it's so so common people to have chronic reoccurring pain unbelievably common at least in my kind of general social circle and you hear them talking about it and going to this doctor and that doctor and this procedure and it's like oh you know and you just you just don't know what to say to them you know I've taken to just trying to like sit, empathize with them but it just it becomes so hard because it's like I could really show you you know but there's a certain readiness and everyone has to be ready in their own time I think yeah I kind of I I sometimes will like listen for clues in what there's in their account that they're giving um and and also in what I know of that person's personality you know there are some cases where I do think someone certain things about someone's past actions or 
or the way they're talking about their pain um, gives me what I think is a tip that they might be ready for it. And then I will share the work with them in a kind of gentle, like here are some links kind of way. Um, like I had a friend, I have a friend, a good friend who has been dealing with really bad um, post-injury pain in his arm. This injury was like three years ago, um, mm. was a pretty traumatic injury, but he's undergone surgery and um, it, it is, you know, theoretically all fixed up in there, but he still encounters um, really, really bad daily pain in it, which is affecting his work. And um, he was talk venting to me about the pain. Um, I guess at least something you can always do, by the way, as, as a chronic pain survivor is like, I do feel like I have a pretty infinite capacity to just listen to someone vent about it because, yeah. because I've been there and I want them to at least have someone to talk to and who doesn't look like they're tired of hearing them talk about it. Um, but I was hearing him talk about it and he said after, um, and then after my friend died, he had, a, he had a friend who died and he said, after that, my pain just rip roared. Like it got so much worse all of a sudden. And I sort of like, I took that as an intro in the conversation to sort of gently ask more questions about like whether his pain seems to respond, be corresponded to stress and other emotional stuff. And I'm not saying like I handled it perfectly or anything, but that it was, it was an instance where he said, okay, I'll like, yeah, send me some links. I'll take, take a look at it. Um, and that was really that was really gratifying to feel. I mean, it just sort of organically arose in what he was saying, but um, I did feel like that was a case where, I don't know, I could, what I had to say might be welcome instead of um, unwelcome. Yeah, he planted seeds really well by the sounds of that. Yeah, did my best. I hope it helps him. Yeah. But yeah, to your, to your earlier point, it is like another thing that happens after you get out of pain is you do look around and you start realizing how many members of your community are in pain. Um, and in part because like people might refer them to you, like mutual acquaintances. I don't know if this happens to you, but um, mutual acquaintances will sometimes like forward me a friend's email address and say like, oh, he's having back pain and I know you had back pain um yeah you know do you, you want to just talk to him on the phone and i'll say sure um and other times it's just you'll randomly be at a party and someone will mention oh yeah my neck's been my neck's been killing me like i don't know what to do um but it really the ubiquity of the i don't know ubiquitousness ubiquity of it really really speaks to how how this is sort of like an epidemic in our society you know chronic pain is kind of feels like it's everywhere um yes, yeah yeah and different uh i mean getting back to your intro about gender and pain too i think people socialized into different genders probably they're like pr are probably asked to mute different emotions more powerfully right so with with women i would argue that it's our anger and our frustration that we are sort of maybe chiefly taught is inappropriate to show mm -hmm. um, but i think that with with men it would be the softer emotions that they're not supposed to either feel or show right sadness grief uh fear um and so take take your pick like <laughs> neither side is perfect yeah. both are pretty bad <laughs> yeah it's um yeah, it's it's interesting that, you know, because I've had um, talks before about, you know, men at least they get the football field, you know, to run around in and get their aggression out and things like that. But then you make a valid point about, you know, when are they allowed to show their sadness or their, you know, the, all their soft emotions, I guess. Right. Right. Mm. all right well i think we've had a um really amazing conversation and it's been so great having you on here sharing your your recovery chelsea um i just have three sort of concluding questions to get us to the end sure um so my first one is do you have 
I usually ask for a top three um, resources. So that could be like books or like strategies. So you might talk about, you might recommend journaling or something like that, that you would recommend to listeners on their journey. So three things that helped you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely the, uh, the curable app was humongous for me. Um, journal speak by nicole Sachs, which you can access in a couple different ways you don't have to ever buy anything she has a couple books but you can also just listen to her free podcast which is for the cure for chronic pain i think yeah, um yeah but yeah <laughs> um i listened to like a hundred of those episodes during my recovery journey so oh my gosh and part of yeah i mean just a this this doesn't yeah, maybe this will count as my third resource or something, but something I really recommend to anyone who's like understand listening to this for the first time or just getting into TMS work and is understandably skeptical that your pain or recurring symptoms might be related to your emotions um, and your and your fearful relationship to the pain, I would really recommend you listen to as many recovery stories as you can. Um, and Nicole Sachs has some of those on her podcast, but there are also some on Curable's podcast, um, which whose name is Like Mind, Like Body. Like Mind, Like Body. Thank yeah. you. I knew you know. Um, and uh, something for me about hearing those really concrete stories of like, oh wow, this person with chronic migraine for twenty years got better from this work. Boy, that guy's back pain sounds like it was way worse than mine. And it's, he still got better using this work eventually. Like for me, at least something about just hearing these really concrete examples of people who had been in worse in, in like hotter water than I was and that they used this work to get better was, was just did something to my fear center in my brain to really, really cool the waters. Um, so I would really recommend those as well. Um, yeah. And then hopping on, forums too on whether it's the tms wiki or um any of the facebook groups i mentioned the curable groups i think you have to subscribe to curable to use but you can use nicole Sachs's facebook group or uh the, T the tms facebook group and you can just get really clear concise answers to your questions by posting there and people like really seasoned tmsers um They'll help you through the basics, but they'll also help you through super specific questions. You know, I posted a question there just just last week um, on one of these Facebook groups about like some heart palpitation symptoms I was having. Like, could this be TMS? Um, so it's it's really people are super generous with their time there and they can help you if you're having doubts um, or specific questions. Yeah, those are I think those are my top two as well. The recovery stories I listen to like over and over and over and over and over I would listen to them every single day in the car on my way to work and it was like it wasn't that I was obsessing over it was just reminding myself all these people can get better so can you like listen to all of these things these people have overcome with overcome you know it's just like yeah. that it's possible it's possible like and also the get out get out of any of the like groups about like you know symptoms like migraine groups or I don't know, fibromyalgia groups or like, and get into yep. the TMS groups. Yep. It's part of, it's part of like switching tracks in your brain um, and letting go of the sort of medical hypermedicalization of your pain, um, which is, which is scary, right? It's scary at first to say, oh, I'm not going to rely on this crutch of like reporting every symptom I have to my doctor or reporting every symptom I have rather to these forums. But um it'll it'll really help you feel like okay this this mind body work is real um so i really i really agree with that okay and then um my next question so parting advice if you could give listeners any kind of like last bit of parting advice the last thing you would want to tell people so maybe something you wish you'd heard early in your journey what would it be mm. Be really kind and forgiving with yourself through just in life in general, but specifically throughout this process of of healing yourself, because know that it can take a really long time, years, potentially for some people, they're a book cure and they read a book and then they their wrist pain's gone the next day. I was not that way. You know, this is probably a five year long journey, I would say for me, maybe longer. And 
but I don't want that to be discouraging because you will see monthly gains, weekly gains, but just know that you're not doing something wrong if you feel like you backslide for a bit. Um, your pain gets a lot worse. Um, I think, yeah, the metaphor of like walking, I don't know, walking along an uneven surface that's sometimes mountainous and then sometimes peaks down to valleys, like it's just a roller coaster and you are doing the best you can and you're doing, as long as you're, you know, following these practitioners that I've named or, or working with a TMS therapist or something, you're on the right track. Um, and just because you're a perfectionist, which you probably are, if you're a TMS mm -hmm. person, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong just because you're, you're encountering some, uh, some setbacks or some slowdowns. Yeah. And you will encounter resistance, you know, your body through you all of these symptoms because you really didn't want to feel those emotions you know but yeah normal and challenging and all of those things but yep. um you said it well be really kind and forgiving of yourself and yeah i think that's a perfect way to finish so thank you so much um chelsea i'm just going to stop the recording now thank you